Live from the servants' quarters, you are cordially invited and most welcome to Austin Danger Podcast, the only randomly curated episodic filmic broadcast in the region or slightly the world about the British secret agent Austin Powers. Every week... <laughs> I'm doing no, so well. Going. Hang on, hang on. Yeah. Hang on, hang on. Every week we pull a film's title from a veritable hat, a film connected to the Austin Powers trilogy. And this week we are so delighted to be covering Mr. Robert Altman's production of Mr. Julian Fellow's screenplay, Gosford Park. As always, I am Kev and I am joined by super producer extraordinaire Mackenzie Wilkes. Pipitrio. Hello, Governor. Hello. Hello, Governor. Hello, Governor. <laughs> that and was tonight my Animaniacs are... reference for the episode. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, we're talking about Gosford Park. Um, years before years before he would completely plagiarize himself with Downton Abbey to the point mm. where it's I was laughing at this film. Mm. He gives us uh, Julian Fellows gives us the screenplay. Robert Altman directed it. Didn't even read it. Just said, why don't you go do your lines? And uh, the script supervisor will tell you if you said it right. OK, I love it. It trickles down. You can tell right away that's what happened. But Robert Altman is making his Austin Danger podcast debut tonight at the bottom of the hour. Gosford Park. Very excited. Uh, I don't have a script. You could tell. <laughs> Mackenzie. Yes. Before we do any of that, why don't tell you me. tell me something that you watched this week? Okay, I didn't watch a lot this week. I will not lie. I was uh, under the weather for a couple days. I'm fish sitting. It's taking up actually a lot of time, <laughs> weirdly. Um, and so I didn't have a ton of movie watching. Um, I will say, I am officially, I believe, a blankie. I am enjoying the blank check pod that has Whoa. been that has been recommended to me multiple times by my dear friend Kev. Uh, and I finally just did, dove in with their blankies, their awards, and then I started listening to some of their Danny Boyle episodes, a director I've never watched the films of. So sure. I was like, I'll check out some Danny Boyle movies. Hello, um, Governor. <laughs> hello, Governor. And uh, yeah, I watched both Shallow Grave and Train Spotting this week. Uh, and I definitely feel like maybe train spotting was too hyped up and, or I'm, you know, watching it in 2023 and like that yeah. doesn't really work very well for, I think newcomers maybe to the film or also it might not just have fully been my bag, baby. And that's okay. Yeah. Um, train spotting yeah, was, uh, I know you train spotting, out. You told me one of the rare, look, I almost never not finish a movie. Train spotting mm -hmm. was one of the rare DNFs. Because um, they chose to do something halfway through that was just like uh, too edgelord for me. Oh, too edgelord for me. I did, you know what I it think, is. I'm sure I know what it is because it's the thing that is like profoundly upsetting to visually see. And you're like, <laughs> yeah. I didn't really want this. And Kev, it gets worse. I'm sure you've heard yeah. them on Blank Jack talk about what they do with that moment further yeah, in the film that is horrifying. It's not yeah. needed. Not needed. Like cheap uh, and lame. Especially because Shallow Grave was so like rode yeah. that line so well i was really disappointed yeah insta tap yeah. out i yeah i agree transpotting ended up giving three stars wasn't super my thing but i i can appreciate the like performances the star power it's ian mcgregor's great 
um the cast is great danny boyle's doing some cool stuff it's not like a horrific film just like distinctly not my bag but shallow grave that is my bag baby i fucking loved shallow grave like rachel came out and i talked her ear off about it instantly because i was like i'm kind of obsessed with this like i loved how tight it felt how the the i loved the way that like christopher eccleston especially gave i think the standout performance there watching this Mm -hmm person who is forced into i won't, I don't want to spoil anything but like forced into a situation he doesn't want to be in forced into being pushed over that edge and then this descent into darkness his character takes is fucking cool the movie looks cool a lot of kind of kooky shots this insane production design where they really are working on maybe one set the entire time um i loved it it's kind of like a I see I see where people tried to call it kind of Hitchcocky, but it's just really like twisty and turny. And the final twist, I I blew my mind. I really loved there's like a final twist in the last like 60 seconds of the movie. That was so good. So yeah, I wasn't a train spotted girly, but I loved Shallow Grave. And I'm actually really interested in watching Sunshine, because that's the latest episode that the blank check boys did. So I'm going to keep watching some Danny Boyle. I've never really been interested in him, but like I'm kind of enjoying at least checking out his vibe. Uh, yeah. So I was a Danny Boyle girl this week. Tight. I uh, I watched Sunshine in high school. I was lent the DVD and I couldn't hear like the 5.1 mix because when you have a TV that doesn't do that, that could be kind of annoying. Mm-hmm. And uh, I turned on the assisted audio without realizing it. So while the movie audio was way better, I I had a, a again here we go a British man loudly narrating like Kappa walked through the airlock like the whole time. <laughs> oh jeez! I don't know what the movie's like without this, and I <laughs> I don't think I want to know honestly. Oh my gosh! Descriptive well, audio, a beautiful out. thing. I'll report back next week. It'll be great. But in the meantime, are you gonna? Can... Oh what? Hang on, hang on. Are you gonna watch 127 hours? Look, I don't want to do that only because i did watch it years ago so when it first was released on dvd i remember my so my grandmother who uh i think my grandmother really when i think about it in hindsight fostered a a love of movies with me because we went to the drive-in movies like basically every weekend and if we didn't go to the drive-in movies we were going to blockbuster to rent something and we rented 127 hours and i remember very distinctly spoiler alert for the next 30 seconds for 127 hours though it's a true story you should know what it's about when he's cutting his fucking arm off with like a dull knife i remember the overhead shot of him like cutting a tendon or something and i was like running around the house being like i'm gonna throw up you know because i was however old i was and i remember my grandmother standing hand on her hip diet coke in hand cigarette between the fingers holding the diet coke smoking and standing up two feet away from the television intently watching him cut his arm off and being like this is so crazy <laughs> and uh that is like one of my favorite memories of my grandma um, that is great so basically i probably am not gonna watch 127 hours only because i don't know if i want to watch that again but like maybe the morbid curiosity will get to me i don't know i saw that like 11 a.m opening day and it was oh, me and Jesus. two old women. Well, no, because I <laughs> sold tickets to it the night before, not realizing that it was open. And mm. I was in college and didn't care about time and space unless I was needed for work or had class. So I went at like 1130. It was me and two older women. Mm. And uh, one of them fainted. <gasps> really? 
Yeah, we got like, a couple of people who fainted. I I genuinely remember being a child. I mean, like I am physically ill right now watching this. <laughs> like I did not want to be in that room. And my grandmother oh, was yeah. like, "This is cool," and was like truly standing an inch from the television watching it. It was crazy. The movie I haven't seen it since, and I don't think I will. That was twelve years ago, thirteen years ago this year. But yeah. uh, it, it's an exercise in misery. <laughs> yeah, I'll probably just listen to them talk about it, but I will report back on sunshine. Um, but Kev. What did you watch this week? Okay. I got a couple of things. First, real quick, I want to recommend a, uh, it's on YouTube for free. You can just watch Ooh. it, but it's really more than that. More than that seems. I want to recommend a documentary series called Psychodicy, which is a 32 episode, 22 hour long documentary about the making of the game Psychonauts 2. Um, it is the story of how Double Fine as a studio until it got bought by Microsoft um, shouldn't have happened. I need you to know, I saw you log this and I clicked it going, what is this? And when I saw on Letterboxd, runtime 999 minutes, I went, what the fuck did Kev just log? Yeah, a bunch of people actually called me out on that. Uh <laughs> <laughs> I was like, excuse me? How many hours exist? It's 22 hours long. How many hours exist? Well, all weekend I was uh, in a state and I was wa just watching and watching and watching. That's I wild. honestly, at the end, here's something interesting. A, like, even if you don't play Psychonauts 2 or know anything about Psychonauts or Double Fine or anything, it is a really fascinating look into not just game development, but work and work culture mm -hmm. And how that has changed in the last, well, they worked on it for six, seven years. So how that's changed. And I'm not talking about COVID. Um, I'm talking about in terms of like uh, clashes from between maybe there's a management scheme that isn't working on a project, for example, mm. and how that can embitter the most loyal employee and how that alienates people and drives them away or how new people come in. And there's a level designer named James Marion who comes in and he's never designed a level in 3d ever. And in his first meeting, they go, I mean, he's uh, an accomplished game designer. He has an MFA in game design from With NYU. 2Ds, he's yeah. an accomplished, talented developer of two dimensional and mobile games. Right. And hmm. they say, okay, uh, you're just going to make a second level. Here's some vague theming and here's some kind of some ideas and you're just going to make a level wild good luck and he grows into an extremely talented designer and an established member of their team and you get to watch that and stuff like that i loved it highly recommend it to, if you've ever liked a video game in your life you've probably liked one that tim schaefer and the people at double fine have worked on mm -hmm. and um if either of those describe you you have to check this out i'm just stunned by it the stuff that they allowed to go into the documentary some of these conversations are just mind boggling. How did you allow this to go out to the public this way? But that's, that's all the point of the project is to expose people to some conversations that are happening better and worse all around the world in studios everywhere. So hmm. I also watched pinball, the man who saved the game. I'm super glad this came to video on demand so I could hang out and watch it at home. Mm -hmm. It is uh, exactly what you would want it to be. It's this kind of 
free flowing. Like there's some light conflict, but it's like kind of a goofy story. Mike Faced is in it, who's mm-hmm. absolutely wonderful and so much fun. Uh, it does a whole bunch of stuff that I would be annoyed by in lesser projects, but I had a total blast here. Like you got to meet it where it's at, but it's a lot of fun. It's not going to be like some other big idea movies, like one big story about this pop culture thing. Um, I think from what I could tell from all the others, they're trying to aspire to be something uh, greater and might fall shorter than this, which is content to just be like, Hey, we're hanging out telling a fun pinball story. Really recommend it. Also, um, Austin Danger podcast news. Allow me at this time while we're talking about pinball to issue a formal apology to our dear listener and host of the cinema arcade podcast trainer. Um, On our Oscar special, I accused him of stealing the Fablemans because it wasn't playing in his theater in Maine. What trainer, the number five ranked pinball player in the Northeast has reminded me is that no one in their right mind is consciously stealing the Fablemans. Oh my God. See, I didn't even know that's who you were talking about. And that's how I found out where trainer (laughs) lives. So I was just like, you know, sometimes I'm like, that's just a thing I don't get. And I'm going to roll with it. But, you know, just to close the loop on that, like he does get most other first run stuff, but just not the Fablemans. How weird. Anyway, uh, he loves it. That movie is his Citizen Kane. So it's beautiful. About the pinball movie. There's a lot of movies coming out this year alone about like a niche ish popular product from the the big ideas. Because there's Air, there's Tetris, there's the Flaming Hot Cheetos movie, Blackberry. the Blackberry movie. Yeah, like the what Blackberry is going movie? on? Like what is going on this year with this brand of film? Like I don't understand. A lesser, a lesser writer director would make the Barbie movie about this. But baby, um, the, oh Barbie, Barbie, we're gonna feast! I'm so excited. Yo, yeah, oh, shh, shh, shh. Sharpening the <laughs> knives, knives but, sharpening. But yeah, I don't know what the deal is. It's like the one big idea and the people behind it, and they're all coming out now. I am excited for the Flaming Hot Cheetos because you know, as a Desperate Housewives girly, I gotta support Ava Longoria, which directorial debut. Love it. The buzz on Flaming Hot is nuts. I'm excited, like genuinely. That's the one I'm like most interested in watching. But speaking of things I'm most interested in watching, that's a bad transition, but let's go to Austin News. <laughs> What does it all mean, Basil? Folks, uh, I blindside Mackenzie with the Austin News. That's how mm-hmm. the show goes. I pull the Austin News. Yes. I do. Well, I'm the segment producer on Austin Pod. I pull all the stuff for the segments. Mackenzie thought that that transition was bad. <gasps> but Austin Powers was mentioned in a piece on Deadline this week regarding Turner Classic Movies' new... 100th anniversary of Warner Brothers Appreciation Celebration. And the writer of that piece, uh, the columnist Pete Hammond, was quick to mention that um, Austin was included in the montage despite not being a native Warner property at all. Of course, Warner gained Austin Powers when it acquired New Line Cinema, right? So Mm -hmm. LOL thoroughly. I have some Austin news I just found on Twitter. Go for it. The night we're recording this, Wednesday, March 22nd, 52 minutes ago, 
TSN Sports, which I think is ESPN, but for Canada. Correct. Tweeted out, yeah, baby, yeah, in all caps. Austin Powers, parenthesis, Mike Myers, is in the house for the Raptors Pacers tonight. Loves hockey. uh, I guess, oh, that's hockey. I was about to say, I don't know what sport that is, but uh, I guess tonight, the night we're recording this, Mike Myers is at a hockey game and has been tweeted about being at said hockey game. With his I have child, to issue an Austin News cor- or correction. The Toronto Raptors are the basketball team. Okay, I was, was going like, to say this looks like a basketball setup because he looks like he's in the front <laughs> row. But then I thought, I don't know anything about sports, so let's oh not. Oh my god! Let's not. Well, be I knew he was. I was like, wait a minute, Raptors? That doesn't sound right. He's a Maple Leafs fan. That's us. This is Austin Danger Podcast. We did. We did twenty five minutes on Shrek the Musical that you will never hear. <laughs> That's our pre You'll never pre-show. hear it, but we don't know what a sport is. That's us. <laughs> That's all my Austin news. Speaking of sports, listen to this. Andrew Luddington is about to ride Le Race, which is uh, one of the toughest one-day cycle events in the world. And he'll be riding his bike dressed as Austin Powers. Oh, my God. I am going to send the image from this news story. By the way, this is Stuff New oh, Zealand. Shit. Who? Um, this is the same place that uh, reported that one guy going up for election was an Austin Powers impersonator who said crude things. Remember that? Or whatever that was? Let me look at this photo. <gasps> so <laughs> I don't know what I was expecting. What so, the uh, fuck is he wearing? He's wearing... So <gasps> for folks... If you've I just seen the great shag on his <laughs> sign, his, his sign says great shag, great spelled with the number eight. Wow. For, for our friends who can't see it because they're driving or whatever, it's a guy riding a bike. He's wearing bicycle shorts, but he's also wearing like uh, a Ron Weasley wig. A Ron, like, it kind of looks like Brian Bat from Pinball's wig. That was just for trainer because we're the only two people in the world who've seen the pinball movie. Um, he's wearing like a velvet jacket with the ruffles at the end. But the color's wrong. It's kind of like a burnt, like a, it's like an egg yeah, purple and not a blue. The only one he could, the only one he could find. And uh, yeah, he indeed has hanging from the um, kind of handlebar area of his bicycle, a license plate that says great shag with the number eight. He also has the glasses. I don't know if those are his just normal existing as a person glasses but he does have glasses. i can't assume anything glasses wise about a person who willingly cosplays as austin powers <laughs> but great job and we're rooting for you a 1970s 12 speed bike dubbed lud zeppelin which luddington bought in 1980 completely repainted Wow, what a story. The race apparently happened, but I have I have no news. Also, there's a much closer picture that reveals that the glasses are indeed fake with no lenses. So that's the story. Love it. Finally, in Austin news this week, our friends in Milwaukee will want to start. Uh, <laughs> I almost said they will want to start listening. But no, our friends in Milwaukee uh, will want to listen close here. There's a there's an amazing series coming to the Time Cinema in the Milwaukee area. It's called April Powers, and it is both a celebration of the Austin Powers trilogy, as well as two performances from the legendary character actor Powers Booth. Mm. 
Hmm. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, now, over the course of the next few weeks, from March 31st through May 18th, the following five films will be screened. Austin Powers, International Man of Mystery. Austin Powers, The Spy Who Shagged Me. Austin Powers and Goldmember. MacGruber, which will be a legendary episode. And Sin City, which will be a legendary episode for a completely different set of reasons. So really, if you're in the Milwaukee area, definitely check this theater out. Go check these out. They're running through the middle of May, uh, kind of weekly. So it'll be like Austin 1, Austin 2, MacGruber, Goldmember, Sin City, in that order, um, all throughout the week, every week at this theater in Milwaukee. And shout out to them. Thank you for keeping the spirit alive. That's so fun. And that's Austin News. The time has come. We got to go upstairs. We got to go downstairs. We got to go to Gosford Park, baby. It's November 1932, and the industriast Sir William McCordle and his wife Sylvia and their daughter Isabel have invited everybody to their home in the country, Gosford Park. Uh, they're going to shoot some birds or something. The guests, the guest list is long. Okay. The sisters and their husbands, who are in business deals with Sir McCordle, the Countess of Trentham, Constance, Maggie Smith. How's it going? the Honorable Freddie and Mabel Nesbitt, the actor Ivor Novello, and the American film producer Morris Weissman, which, like, is such a Bob Balaban character name. Sorry not to come <laughs> out of the synop. It's such a Bob Balaban character name. It might as well have been his character the next year in Best of Show. Um, <laughs> Jesus. But I digress. Uh, there's also... Uh, Rupert Standish and Jeremy Blonde, who also come in later. No one else... There are people who work for them, but they're the employees. They're pests. They're nothing. The weekend is going totally fine. Everything's cool. Shooting some birds. When all of a sudden, Sir William is found stabbed to death. And an investigation begins. Stephen Fry and some other dudes show up and they ask everybody what happened. They ask the servants nothing. Because the servants are nothing. They know nothing. They're worth nothing. And there's nothing going on with them. And there's plenty of reasons for anyone in the house to kill Sir William also. In the hour leading up to his death, half of the film, business deals are dashed, plans are canceled, people are ruined. There's, there's reasons for everybody to want him dead. But the investigation ends up running dry. Whatever. It's not like we have to ask the servants anything. It's not like they matter here at Gosford Park. Love it. Going for something this week. <laughs> I like it. It's artistic. You made a choice. 
I made a choice. Kev. Yeah. I know a bit about it offline, but I don't know how much we've gotten to it on the podcast. I would love to know your history because you have a much more fruitful history with mostly Julian Fellows, but also maybe your relationship with Robert Altman. Because I think for both of us, this is a first watch, right? Yes, that is correct. I watched this movie lose like a Fafillion Academy Awards to A Beautiful Mind. Yes. I watched the Oscars that year. Um, I don't really remember a lot else about the Oscars that year besides that. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll get to that in the I Love Gold segment. But mm-hmm. it was it came off to me as like this kind of uh, upper crusty murder mystery. And while it's easy to fall into that and in trying to sell this movie, because there's a lot of different things going on. And if you knew at the core what the like the core of this movie is. Uh, it's kind of hard to sell. Yeah. Um, but no. And then, th- then from the 22 years, oh my God, kill me now. 22 years since then. Yep. I've seen a bunch of Bobby Alt movies, uh, Nashville and MASH, which MASH not aging well is the point, but even so was like, oh my God. But uh, the masterful shortcuts, which is painfully underrated. Um, Secret Honor, the one-hander with the brilliant uh, Phil Baker Hall. Mm-hmm. I've seen a bunch of different Robert Altman movies and I've also seen Downton Abbey, which is just, which is just this movie with characters you can understand the first time. Mm. (laughs) And that's kind of my history. We love the Gilded Age in this house. The Gilded Age is such like it. Nathan Lane is in it. And that's all I want to say right now. Uh, (laughs) A hard pitch when we know season two uh, release date. But anyway, I love his stuff. Uh, again, Gilded Age is a weird show, but I'm having fun mm. with it. And um, it was weird. We'll get into it on the show, but I'll say up front, it was very weird to step backwards from Downton Abbey into mm. uh, very, 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 very similar territory. Mm. That's, I am, yeah, I'm excited to get into that because I was really wanting to know because... I guess I can get into it. I have not seen Downton Abbey. Um, sure. So I was very, very like excited to get that we would have different experiences, I guess, with that material. Um, because yeah, like I am aware of Downton Abbey. I'm aware of the Gilded Age. My fiance, Rachel, I know watched a good amount of Downton Abbey, but fell off after certain choices were made in the show. Yeah. Um, we wanted to too, but I, I, I insisted. Kept plowing. By the end of it, like I, we still haven't watched the movies and we may never because those choices were so drastic and bad. Yep. So Rachel was, has told me about that. And then we started the Gilded Age and it was like more like Rachel started it. I was just like in the room maybe sometimes and she didn't stick with that. So like Julian Fellows is kind of like hit or miss in this household. Um, but I personally have never like sat down and watched it. Robert Altman is also kind of similarly new to me. I never had heard of him until our friend and host of 70 millimeter proto um, famously watched the long goodbye and immediately launched it into like his all time faves. And I think it became immediately a movie. A lot of us in the discord sought out, including myself. Uh, And I liked the long goodbye a lot. And since then I've watched a couple more of his movies. I've seen the player. I've seen Brewster McCloud, which I'm kind of mid on player. The player is good. Yeah, the player is good. I think, and and my favorite's Nashville by far. And this is sort of similar to Nashville. So actually, tonally, I was kind of like, or like in terms of the style of directing and the large ensemble, I was like, oh, this reminds me of Nashville in a way I'm excited for. Um, So yeah, I had never heard of Gosford, but 
that was kind of my experience with both of the creators here. And I kind of want to jump into what you were hinting. I want to know like, yeah, what was it like having seen Downton, having been so familiar with Downton and coming to Gosford Park? Because Rachel has just told me she wants me to at least watch the pilot of Downton Abbey so that now I can have my own version of like making those connections with Gosford now. So what was, yeah, what was it like for you coming backwards? I would definitely recommend that. I'll say this, watching the DVDs, I, I blind bought this movie on Arrow Blu-ray and the behind the scenes stuff is clearly from the DVD. No new material was made for Gosford Park Blu-ray. But uh, Altman himself is like, yeah, you know, the actors, uh, I had them learn the script and then I didn't read it. They just performed it in front of me and I captured that. And then the script supervisor was like, oh yeah, we got it, right? And that's the difference, right? Downton Abbey is very particular and very mm. precise and while artful and good, I think Downton Abbey, until that decision is made, which is when it really, by then it's clear that he's run out of ideas and the show had to go on an extra year and a half <laughs> when that happens. But Altman isn't interested in anything like precision. So as a result, you get this movie that is... Um, a strong vibe and a great hangout and fellows point and his themes are clear mm-hmm. and it is a great predecessor to Downton Abbey. Although Downton Abbey contradicts it as the family gets involved in the lives of the help um, mm. in, in, in ways that are wonderful and uh, optim just make you feel like life could be possible one day. Um, but uh yeah, it's just so murky in the Altman of it all. What a weird, mm. what weird bedfellows, uh, Ju- pun intended, Julian Fellows and Robert Altman are. Um, it did help unlock some things thematically, and it did mm. also hurt the movie because I've seen him do all of these things way clearer. That's so interesting because, yeah, well, I, I read online that the connective tissue between those those two bedfellows, as you put them, was Bob Balaban because it seemed like Robert Altman and Bob Balaban were working on making something together. And we see at the top because I texted you, I thought it was so funny where it was like based on an idea by Bob Balaban and Robert Altman. <laughs> yeah, and I exactly. was like, what? Um, I thought that was going to be like a stupid way for them to try to get adapted screenplay. I realized that's not what happened, but um, yeah. And so it seems like Bob Balaban maybe knew Julian and, and seemed to be the connective tissue of bringing the two of them together, which I found interesting. And it's funny because I actually really enjoyed Altman's directing in this because I was, you know, so many of the movies I've seen from him and that I look forward to seeing and read about, they all seem so different, like in terms of the themes. And he's such a, he's such an eclectic director, but I do love the thing I can sort of always count on is his kind of like way of just constantly moving the camera very slowly as people exist. Like I think it works best in Nashville and I think it works similarly well here for me because I love this sort of observational style of directing where instead of like, you know, elevating the visuals, which it still looks gorgeous. The cinematography in this movie is still very, very pretty, but it's more about like, yeah, like organically capturing the moment and making you feel like you're kind of a fly on the wall. Like in those dinner scenes, like I read that the camera, if you, I noticed it very quickly, but it's constantly moving the camera. There's really rarely any still shots. And if there are, it's like that one scene with like Kelly McDonald and, and the, and uh, Clive Owen, I think it's like the one scene where they maybe have a still camera, which is a great choice to make there. 
But I love that even in those dinner scenes, the camera is kind of slowly moving constantly. And I, as the viewer, felt like I was one of the downstairs people, like, serving in that room. And I'm floating through as I examine the, you know. Like, I just feel like I, I think the observational style of directing works for me wonderfully in Nashville. And it, it similarly, like, I was like, oh, yes. And I, it just, I don't know. I just really kind of liked it as in terms of, like, a spiritual successor to the style that he particularly does in Nashville um yeah i don't know i liked i liked his directing a lot in this movie i liked the the choices he made it felt very intimate um it was really good oh yeah i'm not complaining about it i thought it was great it was just so interesting to see the contrast between fellows material uh put put there so plainly on tv mm-hmm. versus this like again the cameras are constantly moving and it's not even again like it's just amazing that fellows moved on with that because of how Altman found fellows because he knew how country houses worked, (laughs) you know, like, Hey, you know how this, this weird old thing works. And that became more or less his career. Well, I mean, I did read that like at first it Downton was just gonna be a spinoff, right? Like, yes, that's right. It was just flat out going to be like, they were going to have to advertise it as like the sequel to the hit 2001 (laughs) film. Gosford Park. Yeah. Like, that's what I read I thought that was so interesting that like I'm also curious what like at this point 10 years later right almost nine, ten years later what made Julian be like at least initially like oh I want to follow up Gosford Park I don't know I just think that's so interesting I wish I hadn't seen it I wish I had just seen Gosford Park in college like I wanted (laughs) oh no I wish I didn't have that tainted because again like it's just so many different things explored so similarly that I, I started to feel kind of disengaged because mm. it was just like, ah, I've seen him do all this stuff later. Wow. You know, not that it's much of a, not the other. So the other thing, the other element of this that we could talk about is from Oscar night buzz and commercials and stuff. This mm-hmm. movie was sold as a very British whodunit and Altman and Balaban were kicking around the idea of a whodunit first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Instead of this very, just plainly presented in the, in the special features. Again, Altman is just like not giving a single fuck. <laughs> I, I can't believe it, but he calls it, he calls it an, it was done. Not a whodunit. And as the mystery unfurls, you'll see that there's actual, like a literary reason for that, which is because as I was hinting at in my very detailed synopsis, the murder is committed by uh, Helen Mirren, the housekeeper, to prevent her vengeful uh, child of sexual assault, Clive Owen, mm-hmm. from killing the Lord of the Manor with a knife. Lord of the Manor being his bastard father. Right? Yes. And the fact that that unfurls like that in that way, where the movie is ambling and has no... Are the rich not ambling through life, not caring, right? To go back to the big Lebowski talk. You know, we have like Maude and Uli, the video artist who lives in a fucking cartoon, just hanging (laughs) out, right? Jeff, probably, you know, the dude probably living off of money he earned in 1975. You know what I mean? He's probably, he's probably got something. Mm -hmm. Are the rich not ambling through life, not doing anything while everyone else toils in the basement? Yeah, I was really shocked by how long, because like, Literally, the letterbox synopsis is like 
people gather at a country house until someone is murdered and someone's everyone's a suspect like all of the advertising all of the synopses and things like that for this film all make it sound like we're about to watch a agatha christie or a knives out like it seems like or like something goofy like british goofy super witty like and there's plenty of wit in there it's julian fellows but it's not that it's not that type of movie and it's like i when i got to audience if you have not seen this film which i presume there will be a a decent amount of you who have not watched it and are listening for the content I literally just said the ending. <laughs> that's true. So if you haven't watched it, that's that's it. But like, audience, if you have not watched this film, you will not know that when I, when someone was finally murdered in this two hour and 17 minute film, uh-huh. it was one hour and 22 minutes in. I could not believe that this movie <laughs> almost got to the hour and a half mark without a murder. And I'm not mad at it. I do think that like, the last 45 minutes hour after the killing is we'll get into it more, but I do think the reveal is very cool. I do think that that like that, like five minute section is very, very awesome. So I see why they did it, but like, I could not believe that the movie is being sold so heavily as like a whodunit. And literally it's, it's an hour and a half almost of class relations and, and drama and gossip and idle chitter and then they murder some. I just couldn't believe how late the killing well, came in the movie. Look, you either sell it as a whodunit or you sell it as, listen, it's the 18th of January, 2002. Why don't you come back to the movies to see, to see two hours of chit chat and upstairs, downstairs. I cannot imagine like, I mean, obviously we'll talk about it. And I love gold. Like it was, lauded i am curious if audiences like dug this because if i was coming to the movies expecting a whodunit in like 2002 i can i could see audiences hating this movie based on just the misused advertising for it google audience reviews one star there's no murder until two hours into the movie leaving you bored and confused the entire time also there is no big reveal scene where the detective explains exactly what happened to the characters in the audience which in my opinion is the best part of a whodunit i felt this movie wholly incomplete this is some this is some random concerto on google I'm making fun of it and I'm saying that like I could see people at this time being angry about it. I think it's actually very cool because right after the killing, you know, you're like, okay, I got under an hour now left of this movie. And I kind of think it's this aversion is interesting of everyone kind of goes back to normal. And it's like, we're all just being a little bit inconvenienced, including the downstairs people are just like, we're like a little inconvenienced by this, but whatever. And the reveal, the way the information trickles out is really interesting. And I was telling Rachel, I'm like, I'm not used to this type of writing and this type of storytelling. And like, because the information, the the mystery trickles out through the gossip. If you're not fucking clued in, you're missing shit. Like I missed the fact that he had been poisoned first until I got like a scene or two later. And I went, what? And I had to rewind to when Clive Owen is like with a chicken and two women walk by happening to mention the poison. And I was like, that is wild. And I read somewhere that Julian Fellows and, and Robert Altman were like interested in the idea of like, it subverts your trope by like when Hercule Poirot, when, when, when Juan Blanc shows up, Stephen Fry, you think he's going to be here to solve it and do his scenes and be, you know, the classic who we think. And it's like, 
we don't see any of those scenes. He's like barely there. And it's because the information he's finding is, is trickling to the help. And that's where we're hearing it from. Like I just, right. And they were, they were interested in the idea of like the mystery being solved by the downstairs, which I thought was, I think that is a cool subversion. I think it's interesting for 2001, especially, um, but a cool subversion. This is mind blowing then I feel like. Yeah. Like well, that they I mean, and this even now. far away. Yeah, exactly. I feel like, and again, I can't stress enough listeners. I'm sorry. I feel like my experience is kind of soiled by that. Um, I also feel like, honestly, I feel like I need to watch this movie 90 times at two in the morning Mm -hmm. with no other distraction. Yeah, I because of scheduling, I, I I did say I wanted to watch this with Rachel because she has the Downton Abbey of it all. Um, Scheduling did not work out, but I do have the rental still. So I am hoping to watch it with Rachel so that I can, I do think I need a second watch of it to just absorb the information better. But also I do want Rachel there telling me all the things Julian Fellows just did again later in another, uh, yeah. another thing. And, you know, I just feel like the big thing I want to talk about before we go, I'm not saying that we're like leaving soon, but we're, you know, the sun we're, is, we're, you know, it's about on. four o'clock. PM. Yeah. It's 4 PM or so. I do think we got to talk about this cast. Cause this is maybe yes. one of the deepest ensemble casts I've, maybe ever seen in a movie ever. And I think there's a lot of fun stuff to talk about within the performances. Absolutely. A group of people who all wanted to work with Robert Altman so bad that they did whatever you wanted, man. Yeah, sure, dude, whatever. I'll do it. And you even see, and we'll get to her when we get to her, the foundation of one of the best characters in television history. Ooh. So... I just find it so interesting that like literally every single person in this cast, I click on them and I saw them in either four weddings and a funeral, uh, <laughs> Harry Potter or uh, Emma 1996 with Gwyneth Paltrow. Like, but like sure. I say that as a joke, but like literally every British actor you've ever seen in like 50 films is in this movie. And then there's Ryan Phillippe. <laughs> it's like the weirdest thing ever that it's like, Dame, there is, I saw online, there are seven knighted actors in this film. Like seven people who are dames or uh, sirs in this film. And then there's just fucking Ryan Phillippe. But but the Ryan Phillippe, how good is the Ryan Phillippe reveal? It's so silly. It's never convincing. He's so terrible at it. They sniffed him out night one. And then he's sitting there like, I thought I was so good. His accent is so bad, and I loved when they were like, <laughs> they were like, "Oh, did you hear? Um, he's not really Scottish. He's he's American." And uh, Kelly McDonald, the one actual Scottish person in the entire movie, is like, "Well, I could have told you that." I thought that was very <laughs> very funny. That like she was immediately like, "Yeah, he's obviously yeah. not Scottish because I'm fucking Scottish." Um, I also just watched her in Train Spotting. She's great in that too. Um, she is. But no, yeah, Ryan Phillippe, the reveal is so silly. And I do have to mention like his kind of vaguely bisexual coding of his character. I also thought was very interesting and funny, but like he just feels so wildly out of place here. I saw that Jude Law, I think, was originally in this role and he would have made much more sense. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. But like Ryan Phillippe is just completely out of place. Like he it's just really weird. An American actor posed as valet to Bob Balaban. I don't know, man. 
I just found it. His just his face looks too modern. He has like a case before <laughs> iPhones existed. It was like the you know when people say like this person looks like they've seen an iPhone. Ryan Phillippe had that problem, but like in this movie. You know who should play brothers? Richard E. Grant and Charles Dance. Who's Charles Dance? Charles Dance is uh, Lord Stockbridge, Louisa's oh, husband. Oh yes, 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 yes. Who's just lovely. Richard E. Grant is like, um, he's the footman. No, I love Richard E. Grant. That's why I was like, I got to know who you're talking about. He's great in this. I love when he catches um, the woman having sex with that guy. And he's so like sassy when she's like, you won't tell anyone, right? And he's like, oh, I won't tell anybody. Um, And he, you know, he calls a cigarette a word I probably shouldn't say on a podcast. But when he walks in and is like, I'm desperate for a beep. I thought that was fucking hilarious. Um, Richard E. Grant is literally hilarious in everything he does, including but not limited to the Spice Girls movie, Spice World, where Richard E. Grant gives uh, an incredible performance. I was I was going to try to talk briefly about Can You Ever Forgive Me? The mm. amazing film for which he was nominated for an Academy Award. That's the one where fucking... Um, What's her face? Melissa McCarthy mm-hmm. is uh, Lee Israel and she's forging the apology letters. I've not he, seen that, but I want to see it. Transcendent in that film. He's, He's so great. good. Uh, who else do we love? Who else do we love? We love Tom Hollander. Great. Love Tom Hollander as the feckless politician. The, the just vapid MP in In the Loop. Armando Iannucci's amazing satire. And he was just in the White Lotus season two for a lot of people who are White Lotus fans. He's one of the gays trying to kill Jennifer Coolidge or so she thinks. Oh, wait, really? Yeah. He's the one with the beard. He's like the main one. Because I was like, why do I know this guy? And it's because I saw him in White Lotus. But also, can I say, he's amazing in this movie. The scene where he eats jam was so captivating and i went oh my god do i fucking love this because i kind of wanted him and the jam maid to be in love with each other because the way that man looked at her as he ate strawberry jam off the tiniest little spoon you've ever seen was the most captivating thing ever to me (laughs) boom kelly mcdonald i mentioned she's amazing in this legend what a what a performance what i could not believe my eyes and ears this performance phenomenal i mean like the last 15 minutes is like her fucking movie like she is amazing specifically in those sequences the scene with clive owen and the scene with helen mirren like back to back kelly mcdonald fucking killing it it was crazy uh clive owen is an archetype uh his the way he's playing this character is an archetype that is explored in downton abbey Mm. through um uh, a closeted butler um, I, I saw shades of that character here, which I thought was interesting. Uh, lovely performance, you know, Clive Owen, uh, not where I would expect Clive Owen to show up. I'll say. <laughs> oh, I thought, see, he looked exactly like the guy who plays piano. So I thought that was the same character, but those are two different guys. Because right. the guy that plays piano is Mr. Knightley in Emma 1996. He's great. Mr. Knightley. God. But I thought that Clive Owen and him were the same guy. So now there was a guy speaking of the guy that Richard E. Grant walked in on having sex. That man pulled his pants up and walked out. And I went, we were about what? An hour 20. No, no, no. We were at the end. We're like two hours into the movie at this point. This man walks out and I go, I've never seen that man. There was just men showing up at the last part of the movie. And I'm like, 
Were you here the whole time? There was too many people in this movie at times. That's what I'm saying. My truth. Yeah. I love fellows. I get the big picture of this movie. Um, I could not keep track of anything. Yeah. Yes. I can keep track yeah. of Kelly McDonald and yes. Helen Mirren and Clive Owen and the main story. Yes. The big, the big swings of the narrative. I totally understand. I got it. Um, but the little things like, oh, uh, Lord's going to invest in my thing. And he dropped out. Now those things ended up not mattering, right? I was looking yeah. for a movie that does not exist, but man, was it hard to keep track. And maybe the rewatch will unlock for me the feeling of like, I don't need to keep track. Yeah. I mean, park. at times it was like, when you first approach a Shakespeare that you're totally unfamiliar with and it's mm. like trying to take in the language while also figuring out the intricacies of the story. That's how I felt at times watching Gosford Park because yeah, I was totally missing the relationships. Like I was totally missing who was married to who there was like that guy who was like abusive to his wife. And I like could not track that storyline at all, like who they were. And, and I, that's another, yeah, I agree. That's a reason why I was immediately like, I need to do a rewatch so that I can maybe try to at least figure out the relationships a bit better. It's really dense, but it like not, it didn't make me feel like it ruined the experience for me totally. But like, yeah, I was, it lost me a lot when it was in the more mouthy scenes. But I haven't seen Nashville in years, and maybe that's the point, is to be soaked up into a room. You know, his sound design is so, mm -hmm. like, you know, Altman kind of invented. Uh, Altman Sorry. and Cassavetes are the patron saints of mumblecore, you know what I mean? That's in a lot true. of ways. They love to put microphones in crowded rooms and have characters act hypernaturally. So, I don't know. I, look, I'll rewatch. What can I tell you? I'm looking at the cast list now. I want to mention Chris and Scott Thomas. Yeah. Great in this. Her suits. She looks gorgeous. Randy Roundtable for me for this, for Chris and Scott Thomas wearing the suits and smoking the cigarettes and being a total bitch. Like I was into it. I was like, this is great. I love this. I love when the dude comes back up to the room with the glass of milk <laughs> hours after her husband is killed. And she's like, ah, yeah, sure. What else am I on. doing? Life yeah. goes on, takes off her earrings and fucks the random dude who's just, he was really horny that whole movie, not to harp on Ryan Phillippe's character more, but he was just like the horniest bisexual menace just floating across the house, uh, having sex with as many people as possible. Um, trying to think of who else was like a standout standout to me because Tom Hollander was great. Kristen Do you want to talk Thomas about Bob? Bob? Bob was fine. He didn't have a ton to do in this movie. Yeah, he was there to be there and be his character and to do his thing he does. I love Bob Balaban. The guy is a legend, okay? No, I love him. If we land on enough Christopher Guest movies this year, I think there's a seat in the Austin Danger Podcast Hall of Legends for Bob Balaban. Mm, but, like, mm -hmm. he really uh, does his two things. Although, I think he's really funny in the scene where he's on the phone while they're... Um, was, is it when they find the body or when Stephen Fry shows up? I forget the order. He's but on the he's phone explaining. like trying to like, yeah, he's trying to talk to his producers or something about through it in the uh, second half. Yeah. He is explaining the plot of the, the murder mystery he's trying to make in the tradition of the racist Charlie Chan films. And uh, which is hilarious that, that they're doing that, but okay. 
Um, but he's explaining the plot while they're finding the body and everything. And it's all very good and very cute and very funny. I enjoy that very much. Yeah, he's great. And he's probably gay as far as we can tell because of his, and I was, have you said you kind of missed it? And I was telling Rachel, like it is such a blink and you'll miss it moment with him and Ryan Phillippe where they, they heavily insinuate they have a sexual ongoing sexual relationship. Um, so gay Bob Balaban, we love it. He's one of my top watched actors because of Christopher Guest and Wes Anderson. So I've seen many, many Bob Balaban movies. And I think the last person before the big two, the big two ladies that we will obviously talk about, the last person I, that I want to call out as like a highlight was Emily Watson, who I personally yes. know from Punch Drunk Love. She's amazing in Punch Drunk Love. Unbelievable uh, in Punch Drunk Love. Yeah. Really fun to see her in this. I, it took me a minute to connect who she was, but I was like, hey, uh, she's great in this. I think she has a lot of really lovely moments um, throughout and her and Kelly McDonald have a lot of great scenes. And yeah, she was great in this. I love that big pivotal scene where they're bad mouthing the Lord and she comes to his defense revealing that they're having an affair and everybody suspects it or everybody knows. And we all know the gossip about Sir McCordle. You know what I mean? Can I tell you something? Oh, and Michael Gammon's fucking awesome too. How did you put your name in the goblet of fire? I know Harry Potter is over party. I know, I know, I know. But some things will stay forever, okay? And one of those things is, how did you put your name in the Goblet of Fire? And also, he's in one of our all-time faves, Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. So, Michael Gambon Hive over here, okay? We're in the Gambon Hive. We've always Gambon been in the Gambon Hive. Hive. Love a Richard <laughs> Harris, rip Richard Harris. But how did you put your name in the Goblet of Fire? <laughs> Can I tell you? This is for an audience of one, and that person is Rachel. So Rachel is also used to Downton Abbey, as you are. I'm not. So when she came to his defense, I did not understand what was so wrong about it outside of, oh, she's like a downstairs person talking. I did not, my brain did not go, oh, they're having an affair. And I said to Rachel, I said, yeah, we we were going to feed the fish. As I mentioned earlier, we're fish sitting. And I was like, yeah, earlier there's like this part in the movie where she comes to this guy's defense and everyone freaks out. And I'm like, apparently I was supposed to get that. And then Rachel finishes my sentence. Oh, that she's having an affair with him. Rachel hadn't even seen the movie and she was able to connect the social dynamic there. And I watched it physically with my eyes and I did not get that. Yeah. Cause you're totally disconnected from these people. You're the help. <laughs> yeah. There's no talking. Talking is out. That's outrageous. Unless directly addressed. I was wild. And I loved her arc where at the end she goes and she's just like done. She's like, okay, I guess I got nothing here. Bye. And then, yeah, we got to talk about the big ladies, Helen Mirren and Maggie Smith. Both dames, I I believe. Dame Helen Mirren and Dame Maggie Smith. Correct. Two great guests on the Graham Norton show for people who are into (laughs) that sort of thing. Maggie Smith in particular. If, if Graham Norton had a hall of legends, it would be Maggie Smith, Ian McKellen, Judy Dench. Yes. Et cetera. I mean, these are two of the greatest actresses to ever live. Yeah. <laughs> like literally. Yeah. And they are phenomenal in this in like both understated and interesting ways. I, I particularly, I will say the standout for me is Helen and if only for she has this beautifully, as I said, understated, very low, very calm performance. 
and she's bubbling. She's always just bubbling and burbling. And like an actor who was not as good as her could make that so flat, but she's so energized. She's so direct. She's a laser. And then it bubbles. And when it bursts in that beautiful scene after the reveal that yes she killed the lord to protect her son so that when he she knew he would stab him and she wanted to make sure he would never be able to be tried for that murder so she killed the, the lord first the explosion of that to her sister crying upset that he'll never know his mother loved him because we also you know it's a whole other thing that he believes he was orphaned his mother died so he doesn't even know that she's his mom it's it's really dramatic right. it's really beautiful and heron millen hell what the f- heron millen ray milan <laughs> i'm losing my mind helen mirren plays that so beautifully and that scene is just like mind-blowing Don't cry, Jane. They'll hear you. (laughs) Come on. You did what you felt was best for him at the time. I see that now. I lost him. I lost him. He'll never know me now. At least your boy's alive. He's alive. That's what matters. What more can I say? It's the best. It's the best. Again, the layers of this film, like I want to go back and watch it again already. If I can find this, I will pop it in here. But if I can't, then listeners, you will get unadulterated audio. Of my favorite moment with Maggie Smith is when Ryan Phillippe gets the tea spilled on his crotch and Maggie Smith does this laugh where it's like, she's like a hiccup kind of like she's trying to keep it in. And she's just like, (laughs) she sounds like a chicken almost. And it's just like, that was so fucking funny. Maggie Smith made every time she could make it the most funny acting choice possible. She did. And thank God for her because she was so fucking funny in this movie. Her very obviously horrific things she says to her, uh, the people below her, her just her classism and her vague like racism. Like she's just the worst character. And uh, yeah, she it's great. It's great. Yeah. It's a performance that sets the tone for, again, like I said before, one of the great TV characters ever, the Dowager Countess Grantham on Count on Counten Abbey, Downton Abbey. <laughs> we cannot, it's like Dale and Gooey got us and now we can't get shit right. Dale and Gooey got us. Did you notice last week that you said Kirby instead of Quinn at a pivotal point? I won't spoil in the Scream 6 <gasps> synopsis. I yeah, did. yeah, 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 yeah. You were like- remember. And then Kirby, and I and I, I didn't want to say anything, but it did go into the, it is in the episode at a pivotal point in the synopsis. Um, but well, I don't want to say any more because no spoilers me. for Scream 6. Ugh. Well, I guess I fucked up, but yeah. No, we, it's we, the legacy of Dale and Gooey. Kev, Kev and I have brains that are fully mush right now. Uh, apologies. We just watched Gosford Park. You guys didn't watch Gosford Park. All right. We're the ones we that watched you. Gosford Park. We know you. Uh, Ron watched Gosford Park. Are the real Latinos? Shout pod. out. Shout out Ron for, 
for shout out Ron and thank you Ron Ron and I were joking about the movie Masters of the Universe yesterday mm. and he just sent me a copy of the movie on Blu-ray oh, why that's not so sweet. thank you Ron what the fuck that's so nice thank you Ron love you Ron I'm excited to watch it Frank Langella as my boy Skeletor <laughs> anyway um, anyway Dowager Countess is awesome yeah Maggie Smith's great. amazing and uh I don't have any popcorn notes Oh, I might have like two. Okay. I I'm gonna I'm gonna actually see. I may have some things. Mrs. Nesbit is the name. Isn't that the name that like Buzz Lightyear uses when he uses his arm? I am Mrs. Nesbit. Every time they called her, I was thinking, <laughs> fucking Buzz Lightyear and like vague drag, like Buzz Lightyear in an apron in the with apron, a little yeah. hat. Yeah, it's great. Oh, Higgins from Ted Lasso was in this. Did you notice him? Yes. Oh, did I? <laughs> Yo, did I ever? I was. I went to the <laughs> ends of the earth to prove that that was Higgins from Ted Lasso. And I also learned that he is Sprat, the amazing recurring character on Downton Abbey. Wow. 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 One of my favorite actors. I love this guy. Um, I love him. And I love him on Ted Lasso. And I love him here. And I love him as Sprat. And I was just so happy to see him. I have to tell you, uh, so happy that after a very stressful day, uh, in a very stressful week, in a very stressful month, I forgot he was in it. And I'm sorry. No worries. I love uh, and him. The last, the last popcorn note I have was just the, again, a, a pointed bisexual joke at Ryan Phillippe that made me laugh when it is revealed that he is an actor and not actually a, you know, a valet, a valet. <laughs> he moves upstairs. And someone from downstairs comes to light his fire. And he's like, I'm not one of those conceited snobs. Why are yeah, you doing yeah, this yeah. for me? And the woman goes, you can't be on both teams. And I just thought that was, I was like, wow, the very pointed bisexual joke from Julian Fellows. I just made me laugh. That was my last popcorn note. Very good. Very good. Uh, Mackenzie, how about your final thoughts and uh, star rating on Gosford Park? Yeah. Um, I really dug this movie. I know. I feel like we focused on like the confusing aspects of it, um, which maybe is a detriment. Like, I don't know if I express how much I do really enjoy it. Like, I don't know if like Downton Abbey will be my type of thing, but I did. I love the directing in it. I love the performances. Just what an amazing cast. What an, like the intricacy of the writing. I do. Like, I want to watch it again, like genuinely excited because I want to get more. I want to get deeper into the text that I do think is written really, really well um and yeah and of course like i like these themes i think that presenting the themes this way is almost way more compelling than half of the blatant eat the rich stuff we get because it's inherent yeah it's inherent in like the way these people interact that like of course we want to eat them after this we don't have to be told to want that you know um and like the the big thing that leapt out to me was when um maggie smith is complaining about having to go engage with people and said why does one have to do these things and it just made me think about like the way the rich want to be oppressed so fucking bad and like i don't know there's the lack of privilege like the themes were just really really on display so i really dug this i don't think it's an all-timer compared to some of robert altman's other films especially nashville for me but i liked this a ton i think it's a really great movie i am at four stars for gosford park Ooh, I rambled a bit there. I apologize, but I just wanted to mention, like, we harped a lot on it, but like, it's actually a really good movie. I think. No, like, it's Kev, awesome. What do you think? Yeah, I landed a little murkier. I really enjoyed it as well, <laughs> and I do enjoy that the organic um, of the upstairs downstairs leading to an eat the rich narrative that is maybe 
uh, a little bit more underhanded than the foghorns of Eat the Rich narratives we get these days. Um, and this isn't even an Eat the Rich narrative. It's a narrative about how life no. actually is. Yes. <laughs> it doesn't make you angry because the justice was done. It makes you upset that it even happened. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's smart. I think it's well-constructed. I am giving Gosford Park a preliminary strong three and a half stars. Um, I feel like after I watch it again, maybe a couple more times, I will come to understand and really love it. I see it there. I see it. I love that. Speaking of love. I I love gold. gold. So as I was talking about earlier on the show, this was like one of my core memory Oscars. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't know what a beautiful mind even was. I was like, wow, they're giving a lot of awards to this movie that uh, 22 years later, I still haven't seen. The host was Whoopi Goldberg, who I'm, I'm, I have the clip pulled up on YouTube, uh, did a parody of Gosford Park that was very silly. And again, I just remember it all. And this is, by the way, a packed Oscars. The Best Picture nominees, of which Gosford Park was one, included Moulin Rouge, Todd Fields in the Bedroom, the winner, A Beautiful Mind, and a little movie called Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. Have you heard of it? The nominees this year are wild. Like looking around, because this is also the year, uh, you said Shrek, right? Yes, this was the Shrek year. Shrek, this I mean, was Amelie. Uh, this was this like was... the first year for the uh, best animated feature, I think, or one of, if not, yeah, this was the first year because it was a big upset, which was the story of Shrek, basically. Was that it? Oh, was a wait, big upset. no, wait, am I on the wrong? Wait. Oh, I'm looking at the BAFTAs. Sorry, I got all fucked up. Yeah. The BAFTAs gave Shrek Best Film. Sorry. That's why I was like confused because I was looking at the wrong set of nominees. But this is still a crazy year at the Oscars because this is also when Denzel won. This is when Halle Halle Berry, historic win as the first woman of color to ever win lead actress. Crazy year for the Oscars this year. They gave a Lifetime Achievement Award to Jim Broadbent for a film called Iris. Really? Um, They denched Jim Broadbent. For this film I've never seen. And Judy Dench is in Iris. Maybe I'll watch it one day. Wow, that's wild. That's so funny because I'm looking at this now. So Jim Broadbent won Best Supporting Actor. I did not know he won. I was going to call out at the BAFTAs. Jim Broadbent also won Best Supporting Actor, but for Moulin Rouge at the BAFTAs. So he should have should have been nominated for Moulin Rouge. He's brilliant um, in Moulin Rouge. Iris. 3.2 on Letterboxd. Mitchell <laughs> Beaupre acquaintance of the show soon to be friend of the show soon to be guest hopefully one day this i can't even pull a poll quote out of this review it's so long impress the the earlier time period seeds are unimpressive to say the least mostly because they feel unnecessary wow sorry i'm also this is royal tenenbaum's year this is uh, yes memento year this- yes this is a wild year of movies. Monsters Inc. won best song. Holy shit. And a beautiful mind won. Imagine that. Imagine that. Wow. 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 David Lynch nominated for Mulholland Drive. The fact that Ron Howard beat him for that, uh, it makes me, it boils my blood. <laughs> we'll have that out on the show one day, no doubt. We'll have that out on the show one day. 
Uh, but to get into the nitty and the gritty yes. of the I Love Gold of it all, Gosford Park was nominated for a bunch of Oscars. It was nominated for Best Picture, Best Supporting Actress. Both Helen Mirren and Maggie Smith kind of split the vote on that one. Uh, Robert Altman for Best Director, Infamous Loss to Little Ronnie Howard. Uh, Best Art Direction, Set Direction, and Best Costume Design. And Julian Fellows won yeah. uh, Best Best Original Screenplay, basically, what we call that award today uh, for the film. At the BAFTAs, they uh, they did a little bit better in winning Best Costume Design, as well as Best British Film. Julian Fellows, Helen Mirren, Maggie Smith, also nominated Makeup and Hair, Best Production Design. Julian Fellows was nominated for the Most Promising Newcomer Award and Robert Altman, the David Lean Award for Direction. Can I say um, about the BAFTAs, comparing it to the Oscars right now is so funny because I can't believe how much I'm standing the BAFTAs this year. Because they gave Best British Film to Gosford Park, but also just Best Film to Fellowship of the Ring. And Peter Jackson got Best Director for Fellowship of the Ring. Yeah, they weren't afraid to give it to him then. Makes Jim you think. winning for Moulin Rouge, as well as Moulin Rouge taking home like multiple awards. And then the amazing, iconic Mary Sweeney winning for editing for Mulholland Drive. Brilliant nomination brilliant win i can't believe the baftas for me did so much better than the oscars this year sounds like somebody's getting the bafta fever over there oh my god i got the bafta fever you got it too one last uh two two last groups i want to highlight here at sag helen mirren won for best female actor in a supporting role and the cast won that big ensemble award the everything ever all at one uh, once won this year mm-hmm so congratulations to them. Finally, Robert Altman won Best Director at the AARP Movies for Grown Ups <laughs> Awards. Maggie Smith, a nominee for Best Actress. Not quite. I thought you were going to say like the DGA, like a really big, exciting thing for Robert Altman to win. But it was the a- I love that it was the AARP Awards for Grown Ups. Maggie Smith lost to Charlotte Rampling who recently appeared in Dune Part 1, a future Austin Danger podcast episode. As well as Benedetta, one of my favorites oh, from yeah. 2021. Maybe one of my, I think it's in my top five, maybe for that year. I'm insane and I loved Benedetta. For the Alan Parsons project this week, are you will never believe, okay? If you're listening to this show for the first time, weird first episode, but yeah. the Alan Parsons project is the segment that ties our movie of the week into the Austin Powers trilogy, where we go over the connections between Gosford Park and the Austin Powers trilogy. We have one connection this week. Wow. A returning connection from Pig and from Austin Powers International Mad at Mystery, a production attorney whose other credits include Seven, the infamous Island of Dr. Moreau from the mid-90s, Boogie Nights, Wag the Dog, and I, Tanya. It's Avi and Chinazi. I'm going to, I tried there. Again, if I got your name wrong, Avi, Podcast at gmail.com. Come on the show. Talk about being a production lawyer. Love Uh, it. We will have questions for you. (laughs) I love it. And that's the Alan Parsons project. There you are. You're over there. We have one you over there. Friend of the show, Scott, wrote in about Scream 3. Hello, Austin Danger Pod. I'm listening to your Scream 6 episode and love it. However, 
This episode is sending a lot of negativity in Scream 3's direction, and I want to take a quick moment to defend it. It is absolutely the silliest of the franchise, but that's why I love it. It's a ton of fun. The Hollywood stuff really works for me. The soundstage version of the house is a great device. I agree. that That's like one of the best parts of that movie. It's awesome. It's awesome. It's great. I even like the Roman Bridger reveal, even though the franchise seems to ignore him being the puppeteer pulling Billy and Stu's strings. And I think it's fun to have just one ghost face. Plus, Parker Posey, 100%. Carrie Fisher, 1000%. Not to mention it's a film calling out Harvey Weinstein that was distributed by Harvey Weinstein. A million that percent. is that is very true. It's very true. Um, I just think the silly little run to the litter deserves more appreciation in the franchise. Their ranking is one, three, six, two, four, five. Wow, that's high. Okay, okay. I mean, I agree that like the the the, the scream. I mean, we did an episode on it. I well, I have, I don't remember exactly what I saw in that episode, but my rating is like a it's like a very rare two and a half and a heart for me only because I, I have to have it at two and a half only to rank it objectively for my own brain, but like, or objectively, you know, it's always subjective if it's my opinion, but you know what I mean? And, um, but like, I do like it. I think there's so much to like it. I think we talked about that on our episode is that there is like so much to like. I do think the like prop closet kill is really cool. I think the house is really cool. I don't love the Roman reveal, but like, I still think it's like fun. Like I think Scream 3 is very fun. And I apologize for any hate. I do think it is the run to the litter though. Look, but it's like, if in you, a good way. If you have a hobby and that hobby is speaking into a microphone for an hour and 15 minutes a week, you're going to find some issues with Scream 3, which is <laughs> uh, we've talked about that a little bit last week as well is that you when know, you watch it without the pressure of a podcast, it's like better yeah. for sure. Scott, thank you so much for that letter. And if you want to be over there, you can send us uh, a letter in words or a voice memo, preferably shorter than 90 seconds, to Podcast at gmail.com. And speaking of the pressure of a podcast forcing you to watch a movie, the time Ooh. has come for Mackenzie <laughs> to spin the wheel. Let me go see, because you've been adding. So I have to go see what the new number is. Oh I've my been God. throwing some stuff around. What What... You need to know, Austin Ninja Podcast audience, is that there is 9,000 things on the wheel. It could be any of an uncurated list of 9 million things. I think 15 million is where I left it. 20 million things on the wheel. Sorry, I insert drum roll here, but I rolled while you were talking. I, okay... The number is 685 films. And I was like, surely I'll land somewhere in the middle there. And I landed on number 91. And I went, that's so high. And I go back up. This is a movie I mentioned earlier this episode. This is Spice World starring the Spice Girls. Wow. You know, I was like, I was listening to that. And I was like, when are we going to get there? When are we going to get the Spice World? Oh my gosh, this, oh wow. I'm not going to get into it. I'm going to save it for the show. I have a obviously huge history with Spice World and the Spice Girls uh, in this movie in particular. Uh, I have not, I've been wanting to watch this again. Like I've been like, I found my DVD recently while I was organizing and I was like, I want to watch Spice World soon. And this is the time. So here's the story from A to Z. We're doing Spice World next week on ADP. I one, I fucking love that. Oh my god. Two, 
Richard E. Grant, as I mentioned, is in Spice World. Guess who else is in fucking Spice World, Kev? Um, oh, Alan Cumming. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. our boy, Alan fucking Cumming. Also, Elton John as himself. There's a lot. There's a lot. Meatloaf is in it. That's right. I remember. Yeah. I saw this movie in college. <gasps> I couldn't feel my skin then, but mm, I will now. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. So that is next week. I already blew my whole thing thinking that that was going to be the end of the episode. So next week, Spice World from Mackenzie. This is Kev. Awesome Danger Podcast. Peace. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Austin Danger Pod. This episode was mixed and edited by me, Mackenzie. Thanks for listening.